Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. It is such a, a joy to enter into this Advent season. In fact, uh, I had heard a sermon not too long ago that R.C. Sproul did in, on Advent, and I liked how he opened it because I feel the same way. I love hearing a good Advent sermon, but preaching an Advent sermon, sometimes it just has become so repetitive in my own like working through as I have prepped a sermon. I went back and I looked, and I, this is my 19th sermon in Advent. <laughs> and so you can imagine, like, I've tried, I've been in Isaiah, I've been in Luke 2, I've done in Revelation. I've, I've tried to go on as many different ways that I can to explain to you the birth of Jesus, the birth of our Savior. And it never gets tiring to hear those things. Um, the prep might be something different. And so this is familiar, but familiarity is good sometimes. And so we should be annually reminded that our Savior came as a babe wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, and how important that is, this humble beginning. And so we're going to look over that today in this story, the, the familiar passage found in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Our series that we're going to be in for this Advent season is called A Thrill of Hope, and that is of of course, not found in your scriptures, those words in that order, but it is in song, a holy night, and as you sing, you know, a thrill of hope, the weary voice rejoices, and uh, we, we sing these songs and we love these things, but we thought that the thrill of hope is an important thing, that, that there can be a thrill and that there is hope. There is hope. And so if, if anything you get from this sermon today, it's that, that you understand the hope that is found in Jesus. And so, as we get ready to jump into it, I'll have you stand in just a moment. I want to, this to certainly be the, the first sermon in this series as we understand when, when we do mention the thrill of hope, what is it you're hearing? Because we hear the word thrill often, and we hear the word hope often. And so when, when I say that, or as Pastor Greg's going to be preaching sermons coming up in this series, we want you to know what is the meaning behind it. Thrill is easy. We all enjoy a thrill, I would say to some degree, varying degrees, right? Some of us are not thrill seekers. Others of us, you know, feel thrill, a thrill when you don't go into self-checkout, right? Or something, you know, it's like you will feel thrill in different ways based on what you are seeking. But we are certainly an entertainment-driven society. In fact, in 2021, the global media and entertainment market was worth $2.2 trillion and is expecting, as their website says, major increases in the next eight years. And so we understand entertainment. We understand going to something and feeling excited about something. I mean, we are really in a very, very small percentage of humanity throughout the course of history that gets to do all the things that we get to do. Are you with me? Have you ever ridden a roller coaster? 
Most people have never done that throughout the course of humanity. Uh, you know, have you ever flown in a plane? Have you ever done the, the, anything that you can think of? We have been able to do and f- figured out a way to have this thrill. And so as we read over this story, I want you to, to look at it from, even from the aspect of something that would be thrilling. And when I read this story, thrill doesn't necessarily come off the page right away. We're going to look at it. It seems almost mundane. And I'm going to use that word quite often. So what I mean by mundane is just something that is lacking interest. It isn't exciting, right? Kids, if, if ever I hear my kids say something over and over and over on repeat, parents, you can maybe identify with this, it is, I'm bored. You ever heard your kids say this? I'm bored. It's like, man, I just, I bought you everything. I've taken you everywhere. I've done, you know, the, even when you leave something, you've had a great time, and they're like, well, what's next? You know, it's like, whoa, man, like, this is not true life, you know? And so we can get to a place where we are just, have to have one thrill after the next, and then we come to this story, the story of our Savior being born, and it just seems like the most average story, the most, even in in some ways, a very peculiar, very lowly story. It doesn't come, now of course it's unique, I'm not saying it's not unique, but it doesn't come with all of the the bells and whistles. And so Luke chapter 2, let's get into it. Uh, beginning in verse 1, if you will stand with me one last time as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. And it says, beginning in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each of his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy." That will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered 
at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her own heart. And the shepherds returned and glorified, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we find in you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would be with us today, that you would uh, strengthen us by your word. We give you praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Luke begins this account uh, by saying, and it came to pass. I I think that's an important moment. That's an important phrase that we look at here in our story. So my hope for you today is that I can, that we can, I can help you or we can all understand and see this story painted out for you and maybe a way that you haven't been able to see before. So before we can begin, it's important to note that this story does not begin in the phrase of once upon a time, right? Or legend has it, or a long, long time ago in a land far, far away, right? It doesn't begin in any way this, in, in this term. Luke begins it, and it came to pass a real historical moment that is important. It's important that we don't just get into this mindset that Jesus is just maybe a part of history, but know that he really is a part of history. He really is a part of our history. And Luke sets his narrative with real history. It's also important that Luke, so we understand the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how they all begin in, in, around the same moment, and that there has been a long period of time, around 400 years of absolute silence. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, nothing's happened. 400 years, that's a long time, right? And so we have all of this time that has gone by, and there just seems to be silence or darkness. I mean, if you think about it, God has through, the, through the, the mouthpieces of his prophets, has been speaking to God's people continuously, sometimes with breaks, but often not. And here we have this just ongoing silence for 400 years, nothing. And then we see in Luke's gospel, in chapter 1, we meet a priest by the name of Zechariah who is given the news that him and his wife are going his wife Elizabeth are going to have a child and they're in, they're older in age we don't know exactly how old but we know that they're older in age and that an angel Gabriel himself speaks to Zachariah and says you're going to have a child and so we know that John the Baptist comes first and then in chapter or in the latter part of chapter 1 it's explained to Mary that Jesus' arrival and then of course in chapter 2 what we've just read And so talk about breaking through the silence, right? There has been nothing. Everything in the old has been pointing to this moment, and then now here, a child is being born. And before we get to that, I, I, I think it's important just to ask, like, about the silence. Some of us uh, like it silent, some of us like it noisy. I know, and I'm, I think some, most of us are somewhere in between. Greg is definitely a silence lover. He, this guy, would, he would love to go uh, 
go and just kind of hibernate away for a little while, be to himself and focus, and, and that's good for him. That is how I go crazy. And so a couple of weeks ago when we went uh, out of town together, uh, there was not a silent moment that took place. In fact, my, I was so hoarse by, ev- by the end of every single night because we just talked and talked and talked. I would not allow there to be silence, and that's just my mindset and uh, inherited from my mother. And so we, we have these things, and we, uh, we, for some of us, it's, it's difficult. For some of us, uh, it's a little bit easier. I would imagine that if you were in this time period where God isn't necessarily speaking in the same profound ways that he has been, maybe you'd be like, all right, maybe that, like, that kind of stuff is over for a little bit. Like, we could have a little bit of peace around here. It seemed like every time a prophet said something, there was a lot of trouble that was being stirred up. And though trouble still and certainly existed during this time of silence, we just don't have recorded what all was taking place. But God was silent for these years. And so then we see this beautiful moment, this bursting forward of God becoming man. And life at this moment prior to then, had become so mundane. Just imagine Mary being born and just being raised as any girl would be raised, and she's in her community, and then God meets her. Having just been living this normal life, like she's met Joseph, and she's excited about, you know, they're, they're dating, things are going wonderfully, and now all of a sudden she's going to be miraculously impregnated with the Son of God? Can you imagine? I mean, she didn't, she didn't like put her name into a drawing. She, didn't, she wasn't signed up for this. None of these things happened. God just met her. Last week, I am, I'm, I'm still sort of running off of the excitement that we had last week during our baptism service, but we, we had this amazing moment that represented moments in men and women's lives where God had at some point, not by their own effort, not by their own work, not by any of things, God met them. Didn't he, Zach? He met you. He met them. He met us. What a glorious reality that we're just sort of shuffling through this life and God meets us. Praise God. And so, we then have the, maybe this amazing moment. For many of us, we, when God meets us, it's just sort of we, we don't know when. He just begins wooing us. And I mean, I can remember around 16 that I really began to, to be uh, interested in the things of God. And I knew that, well, I, knew, I know now that God was wooing me throughout that thing. And I don't have a definite exact moment, but I can tell you that it was even during the mundane things of my life I didn't have this, you know, I was about to die in an accident or anything like that, come to know Jesus moment. But it was just in, through the mundane moments is where the greatest adventure of my life began. And again, to, to reference back where we started, the thrill. And we are, we are, I think, in our natures those that desire something exciting. 
We like to see something. I mean, if I could do a cartwheel right now, maybe you'd be impressed. I, I don't know. I would be impressed. I'm not going to do it. But like, you, there's something about a thrill. Like we are driven to see something that looks exciting, that looks entertaining, that looks even maybe negative. Like, oh man, like, you know, if, if a police officer shoots by you with his lights on, like as long as he shoots by you, you know, you're happy and like, man, where's that going? I wonder if I could keep up. Like we want the thrill. We can be addicted to thrill actually we can be addicted to just moving one moment from one moment to the next of excitement in fact i had a moment like that recently i want to i want to share with you all i've been trying to share this with whoever i can because a long time ago when i was a kid i saw at an air show someone jump out of an airplane and i was like i want to do that I've, I've got to jump out of an airplane. I, I want to experience this. And come to find out, 13-year-olds were not allowed to jump out of airplanes. And so I waited. And then at 18, I realized it cost money and that I didn't have. And so time just went on and on. Well, last year, I have good news. I found a Groupon. Right. Like, if you're going to jump out of an airplane, do it the cheapest way, right? I found a Groupon. And so I was... I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, this thing was cheap, and I was like, man, this is crazy good price to jump out of an airplane and just enjoy the thrill. In fact, uh, Dale, I, there I am, two miles above the earth's surface, just free-falling. I asked the guy why I didn't get a helmet. He never gave me a straight answer, but uh, anyways, you could take that down, but that is me going after the thrill, and it was thrilling. I mean, it is not underrated. I was shaken for days, it felt like. I mean, it was an unbelievable moment, and I could see how someone could become addicted to that moment, because it made me feel a way that my mundane life does not make me feel. And so we can become addicted to the thrill and realize that if we chase that thrill, that moment that we create, that we buy a Groupon for, or that we save up for, or that we take a risk, if we become addicted to that moment, you could, and you could actually run into a major problem of knowing that it will never be enough. Because when I did that, this was a couple of Mondays ago, two weeks ago, I think. When I, when I got home and I woke up the next day, I was just like, oh, I, I guess I'll brush my teeth and get the kids ready for school and uh, make lunches and go to the coffee shop and have a meeting and like do all of these things. It was kind of tough for me to have that moment and then just be like, mechanics, Phil, like, here I am, like Chick-fil-A again, you know, over and over. Mexico again. I'm not complaining about going to Mexico, but um, yeah, never gets old. And so here, here I was with the harsh reality of what is next. And so we see the mundane and, and oftentimes we look down upon it. And Jesus comes in the most mundane way. In fact, if you were to write a thriller, like a good thriller, if you were to write a good thriller, I, just in my own mind, I put, I put together that if you're going to write something that is thrilling for someone to read or someone to, to be excited about, you would, you would need to have the right setting, the right characters, the right scenario, the right audience. 
Those things would be important to your story. And yes, when the angels eventually see the heavenly host, yes, that is thrilling and that is an incredible moment. But Jesus, a baby in a manger because there's just not room in the closest hotel, just isn't really all that exciting. And yet God uses this incredibly mundane moment. Instead of some elaborate, prestigious place in some secret society, it's just Bethlehem in a stable. And instead of some great king with covered in jewels and, and with great authority in, in the moment, it's just a baby laying in a manger. And the characters, the shepherds, like the, the most mundane of all occupations at the time, the shepherds, and the setting is the registration for tax season. That's the setting. Like, people are just coming in for what? What are they all going in for? What is it? Oh, we're just registering for, you know, so we can be taxed later. That's the setting? And God uses this mundane scenario. And I love that he tells the shepherds first. I'm sure you've heard sermons on this, and there are there are debates on is exactly the sh- a shepherd's uh, status in a community. Some believe it was the lowest of lows and others. There's arguments. I'm not, I'm not trying to go down that track. I really went down that track for a long time in my prep and just couldn't come to a good conclusion other than it was the, the most standard of occupations. Didn't take any sort of real knowledge. Took no education. It was just a bunch of guys just with sheep that were pretty tame, like there wasn't, wasn't all that adventurous. And so we see this mundane thing. So you might ask, well, what's the point? I, I think one of the points that can be drawn from this is that when we, when we talk about God and the glorious reality that He is, we can oftentimes look at ourselves and our own lives and, and feel a little disappointed and think, God, how have you, some, someone so magnificent, how have you called me to a life and it looks like this? And I'm just doing my thing, just, you know, taking care of the sheep, just hanging out. I mean, I'm, I'm going to the local cup every day sitting down talking with people i'm i'm just driving the same roads over and over like what's the point and that angst that we had as children of what's next what's next it, it kids i hate to tell you it kind of doesn't go away you kind of are always wondering like what's the next thing god what do you have next for me what's the next like mountaintop that i can go to that i can have this incredible moment Still, we look at our lives and it just seems just repetitive. Just every day sort of just looks like the same day last week. And yet God meets us. He meets us where we are. Why? Why would God choose such a a vessel like ourselves? I mean, why did God choose the shepherds in this moment? Well, I think there are several reasons, but let me give you, I think, the biggest. In 1 John 4, 4, it says this, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, God places himself within you. Why? <laughs> Here, for, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God uses the mundane thing to show us that it has been him all along. Are you following me? He, he shows up to the shepherds because no one's going to buy in with what the shepherds. I mean, why not go to the top of the political empire and go straight to Caesar himself and say, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And use your political power to spread it. And God could change his heart, and he could. And it, spread it, it would spread throughout the entire world. But the reason why he didn't is because God wanted to show himself. in a way that the shepherds certainly could not. I say all this to say, do not despise the mundane life. Do not despise the thing that God has called you to. If if you're a stay-at-home mom and you've got two, three, however many kids at home and you're you're with your kids all the time and you're you're not getting a lot of social interactions and, and stuff like that and you're just like, does anyone notice what I'm doing? Listen to me, God has given you those children, that you might steward them. And the rest of the world might look at that and think that is just the most mundane thing. Let me tell you, God works through the mundane. We see this in the birth of our Savior, that God works through the mundane. Christ has come and he lived a perfect life, dying a perfect death so that you might have life and then he, the Holy Spirit of God, dwells within you. God is with us. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't know about you, but that is thrilling. The idea that God is actually with us. That is thrilling. This is where if you just read this story and and it's been mocked uh, over the course of entertainment for years, this story of this meager, humble beginnings of our Savior. Well, let me tell you, there was something thrilling in the mundaneness of the manger. Christ, the King, Emmanuel, God with us. I was skeptical to share this because it's been so long, but I think when I was 19 or 20, I had a very vivid dream once. Do what you want with dreams. I used to be super into it. I'll just share this. In the dream, I I remember... Uh, Figures of the scripture in the Old Testament, like Samson and David and Abraham in heaven. And I, and I was walking to them, and as I was in this dream, pacing myself closer to them, excited about whatever questions in my dream I was going to ask them, I, I don't know what it was, but as I got close to them, it seemed that they were walking even closer to me. Just a dream, not scripture. And as they come to me, I was about to ask, what was it like? And before I could get it out of my mouth, they say to me in the dream, what was it like? 
And that dream has always stuck with me because I think, you know, God, like we see these amazing moments in the Old Testament where all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. The Spirit of God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Like amazing moments. But here on this side of the covenant, God is with us. He sent His Son to us and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. What an amazing declaration of hope. The thrill. And as our theme states and as the song declares, the thrill of hope. And so I want to, as we have dissected what a thrill looks like, we should, we should also understand what hope looks like because it's used many different ways throughout Scripture. This again is where the English language fails us at times that we see one word and we just assume like love that it just means love. And hope is no different. And so hope is used in different ways. Let me give you an example of one way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now this word passions is this uh, Greek word. Uh, uh, let me try to make sure I'm pronouncing this correctly. Epithumi, which means a desire or a hope that is misguided. So it is this, this hope that, that Peter is saying that has, they have been conformed to their own desires, their own hopes, the things that they've conjured up for themselves, that that is what they had hoped for. And it's a wish that is completely misguided. We should be thankful that, we, that God has not given us everything that we've always hoped for, Right? I'm sure that you have hoped for some things that you look back and think, praise God that I didn't get that. That he didn't give me that person or that thing or that house or that loan or whatever those things that you were very much hoping for that you now realize are misguided. Praise God that he did not give me that. Because we have faulty desires, to say the least, don't we? I once heard an interview that Oprah was in, and uh, I, I, I don't know if it was scripted or, or whatever, but someone asked her what her favorite scripture was, and she quoted the text and quoted the, the scripture perfectly. But when asked what her favorite scripture was, she immediately quoted Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And she kept and she smiled when she said it, and every time she said it, she would repeat it, and she just said, I love that it says, delight yourself delight yourself she kept saying it delight yourself well that is a misunderstanding of scripture because she had taken the scripture and had and manifested in her mind that that god is the type of god that whatever i desire if i desire then it is good and if I desire it, that God is good and that he will give me that desire. Well, that desire that you see in, that the psalmist is speaking about, that word desire means give of yourself. Give of yourself to the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How? Because your heart has been changed now. This is where Oprah and many others get this wrong, that they are only wishing for the things that are just right in front of them, that if I could just have this thing because I desire it, God should give it to me. 
I think that the shepherds in our text are a great example of this in some ways. They are, we, we don't know a ton about them. I can tell you this, they are not rich. Rich people were not in the fields watching after the sheep. They were not rich, they were not royalty, they were not influencers, they were grunts in the workforce, and God met them. Maybe they had been wishing, they had stories, they were real men with, with families maybe, I mean, they, they were real people. Maybe they had some real desires, I'm sure that they did. I'm sure that they wished for some things, maybe a different job, maybe a different class in society. I mean, I, I try to put together a list of things that shepherds would wish for. I have no clue, like maybe a better staff or I don't know, I don't know exactly what a shepherd would wish for, but surely they had things that they wanted and then God shows up. I, I think it's always important that when, when we see that God shows up in a way that we look and see, well, what caused it to happen? What did the shepherds do on this night to cause the presence of the Lord? Nothing, right? God just shows up and he gives them exactly what they needed. He goes beyond their desire. See, all the things that, that they were desiring or they wanted, of course they had desires. They were part of humanity. The things that they wanted, God comes in and says, I'm going to give you something beyond your desires. I think a lot of our world doesn't realize that it needs a Savior. Do you remember when God gave you the desire for a Savior? Do you remember when you came to, to the end of yourself and you maybe you looked in the Scripture or you looked at the law and it completely crushed you? Because when Jesus says, be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect, He's saying, be perfect. I tell you today, be perfect. And if you cannot be, what are you going to do with that? I'd say, cry out to a Savior. God has now given you a desire, a need for someone to stand in the gap for you. So if you thought that you could do this on your own, if you thought that at any point the shepherds were in their fields just praying, can God, can you send us a Savior? No, 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 no. God showed up and met them where they were. The angels tell them, That they have come with good news of great joy. The good news is the gospel. What they needed was far beyond what they had first desired. The good news is that they get God. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that if you surrender your heart to the Lord, that everything's going to just go smooth now. Everything's going to be better. Every, every relationship that has ever been broken is going to be mended. Every, every banking account that you've ever dried out is all of a sudden going to be filled back up. Every, it doesn't matter. I'm not here to promise you anything other than the good news of the gospel is that we get God. And that is good news. That is eternally good news. Some of you may even be sitting in here today dealing with bitterness, maybe even for years of something that you feel like God has promised you or that someone has said to you that God is going to give to you that He has never promised. I know there have been times in my life where I have banked time, years maybe, off of a, a, a word that some false teacher gave me that wasn't 
that was contrary to God's word, that didn't run parallel with his will. And I was frustrated saying, God, you haven't come sure on your promise. Let me tell you the promise today. You get God. That he has sent his son, that he is with us. God with us, Emmanuel. I don't need a, 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 and like be tender toward me when I say this, but I do not need a fresh word, a fresh fire, a new anointing, a double blessing. I need Jesus and the great joy that accompanies him at all times. That is what I need. And the church so often mistakes the, the desire for the gospel and somehow decides to go way beyond that. We need more. Yeah, yeah, we, we can have Jesus, but like we can't preach Jesus every Sunday because we gotta get we gotta have this and we gotta have th- this ministry and that ministry and this topic and that topic. And no, 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 we need Jesus. You're gonna hear it every single week. You know why? Because you've come in here weary, just like I have, just like Pastor Greg has, just like all of us have. We have come into this place weary and in need of a savior. Praise God that one was born and so i want to close here in just a moment by reading to you the shepherds who hear this great news and of course was a thrill and they were given this this idea this this reality that there is a hope that you are going to go and to see and they go and they see it look again in our text in verse 15 and when the angels Uh, went away from them into heaven, the shepherds looked at one another and said, let's go. (laughs) That's a a good thing to say. It's like, we've just had this encounter. We should do something about it. Let's go. And so they go. And it says that, uh, verse 17, and when they, they saw it and they had made known the saying that had been told to them concerning these things, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them, but Mary treasured for themselves these things, pondering them in her heart. And before I read verse 20, let me just explain to you. The shepherds show up. They give a word to Mary. She's excited about it. We don't know what it is, but, but she just enjoys what the shepherds have just shared with, with her from the, this moment that they have had with the angels. Can you imagine this glorious moment? By the way, they got there by just following the star, by, like, by going after the thing, this supernatural moment. Can you imagine getting to see baby Jesus? I mean, I've seen a lot of babies, right? And, and if it's your own, of course, it's a cute baby, right? Like everyone wants to have a cute baby. I've seen, you've seen some cute babies. You've seen some ugly babies, right? We, we're all there. We've been there. Some babies are just like, it's going to have a good personality. But can you imagine seeing Jesus? shepherds got to see Jesus. What a thrilling moment. And then look at verse 20, and the shepherds returned. What? They returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as they had told them. And that's the end of the shepherds. What do you mean? So they didn't go on a book tour? They didn't have speaking engagements lined up for them. They weren't traveling around. They weren't, they weren't the guys, the shepherds. They didn't start a shepherd's school of ministry. They didn't do any of those things. They just returned back to their mundane life. 
Let me tell you, God had changed them. That their hope now was far beyond just their, their desires, this epithemia, desire, this desire that is just their own selfish wishes. They looked at a greater hope. This thrill took them from something that was just mundane. Their life was mundane and, and still their life was mundane, but there was now this hope that interrupted. Let me show you another hope in Philippians 2, verse 19. It says, And I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I might be cheered by news from you. There's, there's nothing wrong with this hope here, and a, a, a pidzu hope. This is the, the type of hope that we just say like, man, I really hope it's a good intentions. Like, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas season. I do. That may happen, it may not happen, but I genuinely hope that this next month is a joyous time for you. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a, if you know me, like I am all about traditions. We have all of our traditions lined out. We'll go on Tacky Light Tour. We'll grab Krispy Kreme donuts. We'll way back on Christmas Eve. Kids are getting good pajamas because you want good pictures, right? You want good pictures the next morning, so you put your kids in nice clothes the night before. And we have all of these traditions. And I can hope for these things. And I do hope for these things. And I look forward to them. Those things come and they go, don't they? It'll be opening day of baseball soon. I look forward to that. But for right now, I'm hoping for these things. But that's not my greatest hope. This word that is used here in Paul's writing is this apidzu. But there is another hope, an alpice, that is what we see in Galatians 5.5. This is a hope that is not like the hope of your desires. Like, I hope for this car or this job. It's not a hope like, I, I hope that you get the feeling better. No, this is a concrete faith a sureness that is associated with it. The El Peace is what it is called in the Greek, for through faith, or through, I'm sorry, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. The sureness of righteousness, the concreteness of, of righteousness, this thing that we can lock in on and say, that is mine. This is the glorious story found in Luke chapter 2, that it is more than just a, sh a story, but it shows that the greatest thrill is one that cannot be manufactured ourselves. It shows that our greatest hope is not wished for by our own minds or our own desires. If, you, if your greatest absolute greatest hope is not Jesus then you are not hoping enough there is a greater hope a more sure thing when the world leaves us lonely 
And it will. This world will leave you lonely at times. Jesus reminds us that he is with us. And when it says that there is only bad news, and it often does, Jesus reminds us that he is the good news. When the world tries to convince you that your only joy can be found in things, Jesus reveals that he is our greatest joy. So this year in this Advent series is we're going to, Sunday after Sunday, point to Jesus. I would say in the, in the midst of it, in the midst of our mundane lives, it, I think you should take time, if you so desire, to enjoy the lights and the cookies and the movies and the presents and the music and, and on and on. But whatever thrill you may or may not feel during this time of the year, know this, that it is temporary. And that it will not sustain you. That there is an ongoing and everlasting thrill of hope. And it is found in the one true hope. And that is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. That is our hope. That we could not do this on our own. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.